and then hold your place there and find Ephesians chapter number one. Uh, we'll be in both Acts chapter two for the beginning of the service and then be in a few verses of Ephesians chapter number one. It's so good to see so many of you again, and I thank you so much for being with us this morning. Back in 2017, Mark Zuckerberg, who is the founder of Facebook, gave a speech in Chicago where he said that Facebook could become the new church, basically meaning that Facebook could take on the role, in his words, take on the role that religion once did in giving people a sense of community. As I read his speech and the article about it, I, I, there was two things that really stood out to me. First, there's an obvious lack of understanding of what the church is. And that's why we're taking our time to go through uh, this series that we started a number of weeks ago called The Biblical Church, where we are stopping not to think, well, what does man think church is? How would man describe it? But to go into the Word of God to see the founder and the, the head of the church, how he describes his church. And so we, we're returning there because I want you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, to be able to hear the words of Mark Zuckerberg to say Facebook is the new church and to immediately say, well, hang on a second. It might provide community, but a church is far more than community. I mean, churches exist for the worship of God, and that's not why Facebook exists. It can't be the church. The, the, the church follows the directive. Our directives come from the Word of God. The, our mission is to make disciples. Facebook, that's not who they are. They could never be the church. Provide community, sure, but not be the church. But what else stood out to me in his speech in 2017 is he was talking about the introduction to what's called Facebook groups. Now, if you're not a part of that social media, I get it. I may lose you for just a second. But Facebook groups are where people within the Facebook world can gather together on a group. And if, if you like chickens, you find a bunch of people that like chickens and you could talk about chickens and show your pictures of your chickens. If you're in the AV ministry for a church, there's all kinds of Facebook groups for church AV ministry workers. If you think that bald is beautiful, <laughs> of course, uh, there is a Facebook group. In fact, there's three of them. I would know. Uh, there's three of them. Bald is beautiful groups. What's, what stood out to me is that he said that Facebook groups were becoming the mission and the future focus of Facebook. And, 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 and although there was 2 billion people at that time, that's almost one out of three people on the planet. There's 2 billion people in the Facebook world. Zuckerberg, in this speech, said there's only 100 million who are experiencing a true sense of community. Because at that time, there was only 100 million in a Facebook group. And what he said is, I hope to see this grow to over 1 billion I read that and immediately I thought, well, here's the founder of Facebook, not a pastor of a church. The founder of Facebook promoting small groups and seeing the value of a small group. Here's this man who says, I know there's two billion of you in the Facebook world, but you will never Feel a part of a community unless you enter into a group of people who think similar to you, have same types of desires. And, and, and people responded because today, in four years, it's grown from 100 million people in a Facebook group to today there's over 1.8 billion people in Facebook groups. 
People want community because it's hardwired into us. I mean, we're made in the image of God, a God who is a community. <laughs> the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have existed in community together for all of eternity. Jesus makes it clear that we have a need for community. That's why he came. The opening pages of the, of the Bible talk about when God creates the, the world and he steps back and he sees that Adam is alone and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Jesus comes later in the New Testament because man was again alone from God and Jesus comes to make a way where man and God can enjoy community with one another, but also so men can enjoy community with other men. So the next two weeks, we're going to focus in on the fourth characteristic of a biblical church, and that is biblical community. Now, if you're just joining us, we, we've started this, this series a number of weeks ago, and the first week we talked about how the church is made of worship. Worship is a characteristic. The, we exist for the glory of God, and then we moved on to the Word of God, realizing we receive and we obey the Word of God. That's what makes us a church, and for the last two weeks, we've talked about prayer the first week we said how prayer is not just at telling God what we want, but asking God, calling on God to do his, to come through on his promised word. And then last week in prayer, we, we looked at the Lord's prayer, realizing that as we go to prayer, we may go alone, but we never go on behalf of ourselves alone. We say, our Father and we immediately step into not what we want, but what God wants. It's for your name, for your kingdom, for your will to be done. But when we do get to our needs, it's not my daily bread. It's our daily bread. We go on behalf of our community and immediately we see, well, for us to be a church of great prayer, we must be a church that experiences great community. Because as one pastor said, meaningful prayer follows meaningful relationships. We pray most for what we love most. When we love one another, we'll pray for one another. And so community within the church is so very important. And, and it's what we see in Acts chapter 2 as the, the church begins its journey over 20 times in the book of Acts. You see the church coming together to pray. I want you to look with me, if you would, in Acts chapter number 2. The beginning of the chapter starts with the day of Pentecost. And if you're not familiar with that, it's, it's when Peter stands in front of a group of people and 3,000 people trust in Christ. Look at verse number 41, if you would. Acts chapter 2, verse number 41. This is the end of Pentecost. He says, So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So we see this large number of people being added to the church. But I want you to notice as we read the rest of the chapter what the church did together. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you'll find a more beautiful picture of what God intended the church to be than these few verses as we see the church being who God called them to be. But notice how it starts out in verse 42 with the word, they devoted themselves. Well, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the word of God. To breaking bread, which would mean eating together and also taking the Lord's Supper together. To praying to attending worship together, to, to caring for one another's needs. And that makes all great sense because it's, it's really how we would describe a lot of churches today. The churches, even this church, devoted to preaching and praying and attending and giving and remembering. But it's clear that this church in Acts 2 had a greater calling than just showing up once a week for singing, for giving in an offering, for hearing a sermon. Now they were devoted to fellowship. There was a commitment to community in this church. And a biblical community is very meaningful because it provides a place for all people. That means people of all races, all languages, all cultures, all ages, all people, a place to belong. Like, God, there's a group. There's a place I can go where they accept me. But, but I don't want to just stay who I am. There I become. I'm inspired to change. But in that place, I find acceptance and I find inspiration to change. Biblical community is vital to the life of a church. But you know that throughout this COVID-19 pandemic, I mean, churches were shut down. Yet, through the use of the internet, the word of God was still going out. The, the apostles' teaching or the teaching of the word of God was still going out. And it was going out sometimes in droves. People were still able to pray together. It might be a video call. It might be a phone call. But we could still pray together. And, and people could still share together. You as a church were very generous during this time of COVID. But there was one thing the church could not do during COVID. We couldn't be together. And I would hear from church member after church member, like, what I miss most is just being together. The shutdown and the, the fear of the very real fear of, and I'm not trying to minimize it, the very real fear of contracting the virus that prevented the church from being comfortable enough to, to come together. And so churches have experienced little to no community over the past year. And I think now that churches are, now that things are opening up, Satan is going to fight hard. To keep you from thinking you need it. I've gone without community for a year. I'm just fine. And Satan will try to convince you. He's going to convince your mind and convince your heart that you don't need community. I'm just fine. Because the Bible says we should be devoted to 
fellowship. Even the ways that the church is, exp it is explained in Scripture. I mean, we see the church is a flock, right? And we know that a sheep that wanders away from the flock is in great danger. Isolation as a child of God, as a sheep. Isolation is a crisis mode. You are at great risk. You know what that says? When you walk in the back door as a church member, whether you walk in with a spouse, whether you walk in with a child, or whether you walk in alone, if you ever see anyone sitting by themselves in the church, you should take it upon yourself as a ministry to say, something's wrong here. There's no reason that someone should be alone within the flock. Isolation is critical, and you not just the pastors, you should go to them and say, may I sit with you or would you sit with us? We cannot allow isolation to take place in the flock. Church is called a family. Well, you have a family reunion and enjoyable time together, but someone's missing. Well, you know that they're missing. And, and when I know recently our family got together and my brother was sick, he could not be there. And, and we called him multiple times to say, Ron, we miss you. His absence was noted. When's the, when's the last time you looked around and said, hey, someone's missing. I want to let them know I miss them. We, we have to be active in this biblical community. And, but I, I don't want you just to assume that because you're in church today, you're experiencing biblical community. See, biblical community is not just coming to church and sitting here. It's not just talking to somebody in the hallway. It's not simply just attending a small group. Biblical community is not the, when the schedule says, I go to my Bible study once a month or once a week. That, that's not true biblical community. Biblical community is an invitation to do life together with someone. With the gospel as a shared pursuit, a shared mission, and a shared treasure. Biblical, true biblical community says, because I know the gospel and I know you do too. I can invite you into the messiness of my life without fear or shame. Because I know I will be embraced by you in the same way that Jesus Christ embraced me. Biblical community is absolutely beautiful when you see it in motion. When I read those final verses of Acts chapter 2, I think I would love to be of a, I would love to be a part of a church that does that. But biblical community is costly. It requires a couple of things from us. It requires exposure. But if we understand this, that cross has already exposed us for who we are. You know what that cross screams? Sinners. When you look at that cross and you think of Brian Hassey, you should be thinking that cross says that Brian Hassey is a sinner. You know what that means, though? Ha, I don't have to hide it anymore. Guess what, church? Your pastor is a sinner. And he was someone who stood in great need of the, of the death and burial and resurrection and life of Jesus to save my soul. Now that you know that, 
I don't have to hide that anymore. I can invite you into the mess of my life because you know I'm a sinner. Biblical community requires sacrifice. It's more than just being in a group and you hear of a need and say, hey, I hear that need. I'll be praying for you. It's hearing a need and saying, hey, I hear that need. I'm going to make it my own. That's what Jesus did. He didn't know I was a sinner in need of salvation and said, hey, I hope it all works out for you. No, 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 he took my sin upon himself. He bore my need. Requires exposure and sacrifice and discomfort. Biblical community will never be found in a padded chair. We might have Bible studies in padded chairs. We might have church services in padded chairs. Biblical communities, when we get out of the chair and we start serving our Lord together on behalf of those who are in need and we get dirty and we get messy, just like Jesus did when he left the glories of heaven to come to this dirty, dusty earth because he knew we needed him. See, biblical community begins with exposing my mess i show it to you i'm a failure but i know i'll be embraced with gospel love because you know you're a sinner and you know that i'm a sinner and you're a sinner i can embrace you with the gospel and i can hold you and then i can even do this i can ask you to enter my mess Knowing we'll all be better because of it. But you know, the great, one of the greatest hindrances to biblical community is our willingness to be transparent. You know, we, we, love to, we, love to be, we love to show up in church and then we could put on the nice clothes and, and, and husbands can be really nice to their wife in church. <laughs> we, we can really be kind to our children when they're running around doing things we don't want them to do, but well, we still want to give you the persona that we're in charge and we're loving parents. But you know what happens? When, when you invite someone into the mess of your life and you're in your home and you can no longer cover up the dark corners that, that, that you don't want people to see, now they're exposed. Oh, no. Now we have the opportunity to enter into true biblical community because it'll never come as long as we hide from one another who we really are. Ephesians chapter 1, if you have your Bibles there, this verse has really changed my understanding of fellowship and community. As God was working in my heart a number of years ago, um, I, I began reading this devotional called the Gospel Primer, and it's 31 devotionals, and I just go through it month after month after month, and on the 12th day of every month, I read one that's entitled, My Inheritance in the Saints. And my inheritance in the saints is taken from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to read you verse 18 and a portion of verse 19. It says this. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now, Ephesians is a, a really full, packed, full portion of a book, book of, uh, of, the, of the Bible. 
And what Paul's going to say here, he's going to say, I want you as a church, I want you to notice three things. I, I, I really, here's, here's, I want you to notice the hope that Christ brings. May your spiritual eyes be open to this. The hope that Christ brings. The inheritance Christ gives and the power that Christ provides. And I'd love to expound, expound on each of those, but I'm just going to key in on that middle one. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Most of my life, if you were to ask me, so what do you get at salvation? I would have told you, man, it's awesome. Well, you get your sins forgiven, you get an eternal home in heaven, and, and you get where it's going to have streets of gold and pearly gates, and there's a song that says we got a mansion on a hilltop somewhere. Like all these things that await me one day, that's my inheritance of salvation. And it's only been recently where the Lord has just really helped me understand deeper and deeper the greatest gift i'm given at salvation is god himself but there's so much more that i get now before i get to heaven and, and one of the glorious parts of inheritance is you is this church the saints of god we all understand i think that an inheritance comes after the death of someone i mean you don't get an inheritance until someone dies that makes the the story of the prodigal son in luke 15 like that makes it so appalling right because the the younger son went to his father and said i wish you were dead since you're not dead give me the inheritance now he wanted the inheritance he didn't want the father we're just appalled at that like wow but you understand what ephesians 1:18 teaches you when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not only are you given the Father, but the Father immediately gives you the inheritance. Like you don't have to wait until you die to get the inheritance that awaits us at salvation. The, 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 we get the Father, the greatest gift, the greatest inheritance, and then he gives us his greatest treasures. You. He sent his son to redeem you. You were so valuable to him. And then he says, hey, I love it. When you come to me for salvation, you not only have access to the father, but the father gives you his greatest gifts, and that is one another, the glorious inheritance in the saints. None of us would ever be handed something very valuable and purposely throw it on the ground. But I think so many of us don't understand what we have been handed. And so we do easily toss it aside without understanding this group of people here is part of your riches of the glorious inheritance of the Father that comes at salvation. But when we live in isolation... Or when we're content to just be in the crowd, we don't get to experience those riches. But you gotta understand, it's through the people that you, through the people of God, that you get to feel the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the healing of God. It comes through the people of God. And the more you isolate yourself from people and say, I could do this Christian thing all by myself, you'll never experience the love of God that you would when people come to you and say, let us express how God has loved us by loving you. 
Let me show you the forgiveness I have received by I know you probably don't deserve it, but let me forgive you because I know I didn't deserve it when Christ forgave me. And let me offer you grace when you don't deserve it because I know that when I was offered grace, I certainly didn't deserve it. About two years ago, I reached out to a, a friend of mine. We've been chi- we were childhood friends, grew up together. We both graduated Bible college and, and started serving full-time in the ministry together. And yet over the past couple of years, he experienced some deep hurts. Some I knew about, others I did not know anything about. And we were catching up about two years ago, and I was on the phone with him as I was coming down 340, and I pulled into the parking lot, and I kept talking with him almost 20 minutes here. We were in the, in the parking lot right here in I began to tell him about what God was doing in my heart through the gospel and through this church, and it was exciting. And and he was telling me some of the hurts that he had gone through, and I could tell as I was trying to encourage him, there was a guardedness up because of the hurt he had experienced. Even though we were very, almost best of friends growing up. And while we were talking, the truth of Ephesians 1.18 came to me, and I, I said, hey, hey, Joe, I got to tell you, this is what the Bible says, that that you are a part of my inheritance and salvation, and and I'm a part of yours. And here's what I want to tell you. I know you've been hurt, and I understand that, but I just want to tell you, I don't want your inheritance wasted. I'm a part of your inheritance, so I'm going to speak truth into your life whenever I can, if you'll let me. But Joe, Joe, you're a part of my inheritance. That means God gave you Gave, gave you to me at salvation. Joe, I don't want to waste it. Joe, would you, would you speak truth into my life too? And he would tell you that, that just that understanding, that, that the inheritance of salvation was both given and take, has really transformed his life because every day, or almost every day, we get on a little app called Marco Polo and we share what God is doing in our hearts as we read the gospel primer or we read our Bibles or another book or devotional and we share and that beauty of a friendship that started with two guys just coming together has blossomed into 10 men all around the country in fact one of them is our one of our missionaries Nate Beal who's down in Peru but almost every day we get together on this Marco Polo app and we just share what God's doing in our life I promise you, me speaking and having people speak into my life has been one of the largest contributors to my spiritual growth. Friday, I was finishing up my sermon and I was working in town and I got in my truck and I saw that there was a a message on my Marco Polo app and, and it was Joe and he started to talk and I was like, oh, man, this is just exactly what I'm going to preach on this. This is, this is biblical community. Oh, how I wish the church could hear this. And then I said, well, why couldn't the church hear this? So I messaged Joe, can I share your video with our church? And he's like, oh, Brian, no, man, that's so embarrassing. I'm like, you don't understand. You're saying in your words, exactly what i want the church to hear and he said if you think it'll help that's fine you won't be able to see it from where you are but as he begins to speak tears are welling up in his eyes i cut out about the first 30 seconds of a personal message to the guys because that wouldn't matter to you but he's going to say good morning and then he's going to get into his his message and just watch 
just digging into the same thing over and over and over every week kind of gets mundane. It, it starts to get mundane unless you actually sit and think. <clears throat> so this morning I gave it some extra thought, the primer this morning, uh, with a cup full of spiritual blessings. And as I was thinking and as I was going through all the things that Jesus is for me, I thought of this group. And the thought just, it just almost sent chills through me to think that when Jesus died on the cross, he thought of me in 2019, 2020, and he thought of what I would need to spiritually survive. And I was in a bad spot. Um, I was alone and hurting. And God, in his infinite wisdom, <clears throat> when he sent Jesus to the cross, knew that I would need this group of guys at this point in time in my life. And that was part of the cup that was full that I got handed when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I didn't know it as a little boy in a house in Hammond, Indiana, sitting on my bed, did not know that 40 years later, um, part of that filling would be this. And uh, kind of warmed my heart this morning. So thanks, guys, for being a part of my portion of blessing that Jesus afforded to me through his butchering on the cross. That was my thought this morning. I love you guys. Have a great Saturday, great weekend, and I'll try to keep up as best I can. Love you guys. He said, I had no idea that when Jesus went to the cross, he would be thinking of me in 2019 during a low spot. And he would bring you guys into my life. <laughs> he was alone and hurting and the saints of God stepped in and I just think you know I know his, his initial reaction was no it was but as he accepted and as, as he opened up the hurts of his life and, and allowed his, himself to be exposed he saw that he was embraced ha, I love you man we've all been there would you come into out? Would you enter into our life? That man, I wish you could know, understand the two years journey that has taken place in his life. He grew up in a Christian home, was in church every day of his, uh, every time the church doors were open, he was a part of it. And yet when he was low, his immediate reaction was to isolate. And that isolation just left him bearer and bearer and bearer. And it wasn't until a community stepped in to say, no, it's okay to expose your heart because we will embrace you and then ask you to enter in. And I don't know why that surprises us because all throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul directly links your spiritual growth to your biblical community. All over the book of Ephesians, you grow together and part of the value of community is not just the people but it's the cost it took the death of the son of god to offer you biblical community community 
with the God, as Romans 5 says, of whom we were enemies in our sin, but, but also biblical community of people who would be very easily to reject and say, I don't want and I don't need to offer you grace. I don't need to be kind to you. I don't need to be merciful to you. And Jesus is like, look at what I've given you. I've given it to you so you can open and invite these who you don't want into your life. Allow them to enter so that they can be exposed to the grace I offered you. I mean, as a nation, we, we understand this. Like, we stopped this weekend to, to celebrate the death of our men and women who have made this a nation of peace. But don't you find it tragic that in this nation of peace, there are cities where there's great violence and there's murder taking place? And you're like, I don't understand. People laid their lives down to offer peace and freedom, and you're killing one another. But we got to think of what's going on in the church. Christ laid his life down so that we could live in peace and harmony with one another, and yet we have Christians that harbor bitterness in their hearts against another Christian who spew very hateful words about other Christians, and you think, that's not why Jesus laid his life down. He laid his life down to bring unity between man and God and unity between man and man. But that will only happen when we transparently invite one another into the messiness of our lives and allow the gospel to bring the true healing that only the gospel can bring. So what do we do? Well, first, we pursue biblical community. Yeah, we all want to be loved. We all want to have friends. But, but Christ showed us the example. He pursued us. We only love him because he first loved us. And we don't become a biblical community by showing up to the same place at the same time. That's not biblical community. Biblical community is when we expose our hurts, we are embraced, and we enter the lives of one another. But I promise you, you will never do that with anyone if you don't have a relationship with them. So to pursue biblical community in this church, one way of building and starting to build relationships is to be a part of a small group. It's not the only way, but it's a great way and it's a way that we have ready i mean we got to start somewhere i was listening to a pastor within the last couple of weeks and he he asked his church this question is there someone in your church besides your family or a pastor is there someone in your church besides your family or a pastor who you would call in an emergency He said, think about that, because that's going to start to expose the level of biblical community you're experiencing in your church. And then he said this, but let's go a step further. How many in the church would call you in their moment of emergency? Because that even more deeper exposes your level of commitment to biblical community. Now, if you, if you think through that and you're like, ah, man, I don't know if too many people who would call me. Hey, don't, don't blame others. Pursue biblical community. Go after it. Begin building relationships where you can expose yourselves, feel the embracing, and be invited to enter 
into one another. And after the service today, Pastor Mike's going to be at the back table to, to answer any questions you might have about small groups right now. I know it's been different, but we want to see people start returning to that biblical community of a church, not just showing up to sing, take an offering, and preach together. We pursue biblical community, we provide biblical community, meaning we love as Christ loved us, and we accept people. When they do open up, we embrace them, not attack them. When we hear of needs, we make those needs our own by promoting biblical community, providing, and then we promote biblical community. As a church, we've struggled. I think you understand this. As a leader, it's been hard to lead through this, but I think you understand this. As a church, it's, it's been a struggle to enjoy true biblical community with, with safety and worrying about what's going on and what's taking place. And, but now that restrictions are being lifted and people are beginning to return to a little bit of normalcy, we're, we want to provide the church with opportunities for more time together. Recently, our leaders met together, and we, we, over, we looked at our schedule that's currently just not working, 9, 10, and 11. I mean, we started our service late today because everyone was still stuck in the hallway and still stuck in their life groups, not in here yet, and, and I love that. But, but in the morning, I'm rushing through a sermon so people can rush into their life groups, and today we were 10 minutes late, even though it was a, as, spoke as fast as we can and cut things out. So we don't, we don't want to keep rushing because we want to slow down to offer time for community. So starting next week, we're going to change our schedule for the summer. For the summer. We're going to begin at 9 o'clock next Sunday, a new ministry that our deacons are leading called the Donut Ministry. I'm just kidding. It's not really called the Donut Ministry. But at 9 o'clock in the, in the hallways behind you, right up here in the lobbies on the main level so you don't have to navigate stairs if you don't need to, uh, we're going to start having some treats and some coffee there at 9 o'clock. For those of you who like to get here a little bit early, you'll enjoy some time of fellowship. We're going to move our life groups and our Sunday school classes to begin starting at 9.30. So you'll have a time of fellowship beforehand. Then you'll go into where you are taught, and I hope that as your life groups begin uh, as your life groups begin, I hope that you open up and add something to the life groups that you expose as relationships are built. And then we're going to have just one worship service that's going to start at 1030. That's going to be able to give us a chance to start with fellowship. And we're moving the service forward a little bit so we can end with an opportunity for prayer and fellowship so you don't have to rush out to the next thing on your schedule we want the church to just slow down and it's pretty funny i mean miss carolyn as she was playing while all of you were greeting one another we looked at each other about three times like do i say anything yet they're still talking do i say anything yet they're still talking uh and you were enjoying one another and i love that i want you to continue to be able to do that next sunday we'll we'll come back and we're going to Spend a little bit more time going a little deeper on what biblical community really looks like. But today I just wanted to show you your need for it. You can live in isolation. That's dangerous. Community, though, takes that awkward step to say, this is who I am. Is that okay? <laughs> and I promise you, in a true gospel community, it'll be okay. 